Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate, or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash CraigU. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. Each year, 3,000 ships carrying 40 million tons of cargo pass through the Welland Canal. The canal would help Toronto become the largest city in Canada while fostering increased trade on the Great Lakes between the United States and Canada and would eventually form part of the incredibly important St. Lawrence Seaway. The story of the construction of the Welland Canal begins 200 years ago and continues well into the 20th century. Before the Welland Canal existed, shipping traffic between Lake Erie and Lake Ontario required a portage road between Chippewa, Ontario and Queenston, Ontario. The road stretched for 18 kilometers and was time-consuming and inefficient. As trade began to increase between the United States and Canada, only a decade after the War of 1812, the need for a canal became apparent. This was especially true as the Erie Canal had been built between Albany and Buffalo, which gave New York City direct access to Lake Erie. The idea of a canal actually dates back to 1799 when a Queenston merchant named Robert Hamilton petitioned the Legislative Assembly of Upper Canada, and while this would fail, the idea of a canal did not disappear. 
1816, William Hamilton Merritt, who was only 23, bought a run-down sawmill, gristmill, and store along the 12-mile creek. The creek's levels changed constantly, which made it difficult for him to operate his mills. In 1818, the water level was especially low, and Merritt began to pursue the idea of bringing water to his mills from the Welland River. With others in the area, Merritt began to survey a potential route for a water canal, planning a three-kilometer route from the headwaters of Twelve Mile Creek to the Welland River. He would send a petition to the Upper Canada Legislature to provide funds for construction of a canal. The members of the legislature were open to the idea, and in 1823, Hiram Tibbetts, a respected engineer, was hired to do a survey of the route. His suggestion was to dig a channel that was four feet deep below the surface of the Welland River. On January 19, 1824, six years after Merritt began to pursue the idea, the legislature formed the Welland Canal Company, providing capitalization of $150,000. Merritt was made the financial agent, requiring him to travel throughout the United States and Britain to find funding for the project. Several proposals were put forward, including combining the canal with a rail route with boats hauled up the incline on wooden rails. Another proposal was to dig a tunnel through the summit between the two lakes, 4.5 meters wide, 4 meters high, with a draft of 1.8 meters. Eventually it was decided that the canal would be a series of locks with an open channel. The Montreal Gazette wrote on March 17, 1824, quote, In our last paper, we took an opportunity of noticing the favorable reception the project of the Welland Canal, for joining Lake Erie in Ontario, had met within this town, and we find additional proof of the importance and utility of this undertaking in the interest manifested for Quebec. End quote. On November 30, 1824, 200 people gathered at Allenburg to watch the sod turning for the construction of the canal, but it would not be until July of the following year that actual construction would begin. The Montreal Gazette wrote, quote, The morning was rainy and had the appearance of a rainy day. Owing to the frequent rains lately, the roads were exceedingly bad. Owing to the circumstances, there was not near the number of people that might otherwise have been expected. End quote. Several dignitaries were on hand, including the directors of the company. Merritt would also give a speech to the crowd. He would say, quote, We are assembled here this day for the purpose of removing the first earth from a canal which will, with the least, and by the shortest distance, connect the greatest extent of inland waters in the whole world. It gives me particular pleasure to find the line of this canal has been located in this neighborhood, the inhabitants of which have turned out on all occasions with a zeal worthy of the undertaking." The deep cut, as it was called, progressed slowly, running as deep as 20 meters and moving 750,000 cubic meters of dirt. By 1826, there were questions over whether or not its size would even be adequate. In an editorial, the Montreal Gazette wrote on October 23rd of that year, asking if it was going to be a boat canal or a ship canal. It states, quote, A ship canal, it may with a little extra expense be made to carry very considerable shipping, but the intention of it is to make it carry ships 120 tons burden, which is the full size of those that ordinarily navigate Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, end quote. By 1827, work was paused in September due to heavy rains, and workers began working on a new canal at Waynefleet. Work would not continue until April 1828. As work neared completion, advocates of the canal at St. Catharines purchased a canal boat in Buffalo called the General Jackson, with the plan to make it the first boat through the canal to pass the village. Unfortunately, they would be unsuccessful in this endeavor. 
On July 12, 1828, it was announced that £50,000 was allocated from England in order to finish the canal. And the rains seemed to continue through the year, and on November 9, 1828, the banks of the cut near Port Robinson collapsed, killing an unknown number of workers. Several more landslides would occur, and it was decided that making a cut deep enough to use the Welland River as a source of water for the canal would not be possible. To deal with this problem, a dam was built near the mouth of the Grand River, with a feeder channel running to the Welland Canal. The feeder channel ran to the east before turning to the north across the Waynefleet Marsh. The digging of the feeder channel took 177 days, which was a considerable achievement for the time. In November 1829, Lake Erie water was finally led into the feeder and the Welland Canal project. The Montreal Gazette wrote, quote, it is with extreme pleasure we announce to our readers and friends, and the friends of this great work throughout the country, the fact that the waters of the Grand River were actually let into the feeder of the Welland Canal on Saturday last, and are at this moment gradually wending their way through the canal to mingle with the waters of Lake Ontario. End quote. On November 30th, 1829, five years after sod was first turned, the Welland Canal was open to traffic. The Annie and Jane from York, Upper Canada, and the R.M. Broughton from Youngston, New York, were the first boats to go through the canal from either side. It would take them two days, and they were pulled by teams of horses. In all, the Welland and Feeder Canals stretched for 44 kilometers between the two lakes, with 40 wooden locks and a minimum canal depth of 8 feet. The difference in elevation between the two entrances to the canal at Lake Erie and Lake Ontario was 99 meters and the total cost to build this canal was $8 million, no small amount at the time. Only two years after the canal was completed, Gravelly Bay, now Port Colburn, was chosen as the new Lake Erie terminus for the canal, as it offered a natural harbour for ships waiting to go into the canal. A loan was obtained and construction soon began, but a cholera outbreak in 1832 delayed construction. On June 1, 1833, the Matilda became the first ship to travel through the new canal route. In 1839, with the 40 wooden locks beginning to deteriorate and the ships getting larger, work began on the second Welling Canal, which would deepen the original canal to 9 feet at a minimum and reduce the lock number to 27. While work was conducted on the second Welling Canal, there was still cargo going through. In 1840, 186,000 barrels of flour went through, along with 14,000 pounds of beef and pork, 150,000 pounds of salt, 1.8 million board feet of lumber, and 1.7 million bushels of wheat. By 1841, the province of Canada turned all loans made to the financially troubled Welland Canal Company into stock and it took over control. The deepening of the canal was completed by 1846 for part of the distance, with the full distance finishing in 1848. Total completion of the second Welland Canal was finished in 1854. And the man who started it all, Merritt, would actually live to see this, and he would eventually pass away in 1862. As ship traffic increased and ship sizes ballooned, it was evident by the 1870s that a third Welland Canal project needed to be conducted. The Kingston British Whig reported, quote, In Canada, we are more slow to perceive the advantages which the enlargement would secure than our commercial neighbours, who, from time to time, 
give us plain but kindly hints of the danger in our own backwardness. End quote. This time, the minimum depth would be 14 feet with 26 stone locks. Originally, the plan was to have it at 12 feet, but the Kingston Board of Trade would speak with the Minister of Public Works. The British Whig Standard reported, quote, They are satisfied that through the Honourable Minister of Public Works does not intend to interfere with the present contracts to deepen the Welland Canal to 12 feet. He will, before a year is out, supplement that work by contracts to make a 14-foot drought of water, end quote. One of the largest projects along the canal route was the Meriton Tunnel, built in 1876 so that the Grand Trunk Railway could run under the canal between locks 18 and 19. Construction on the tunnel began in 1875, finishing in 1876, and it would officially open four years later. The tunnel ran for 713 feet and was made by men using only picks and shovels, with horses taking the dirt out in wagons. The construction of the tunnel was also very dangerous. In 1875, a 14-year-old boy was killed when he was crushed by a large rock. To this point, with the canals, 107 men had died in the construction of the canal and the tunnel. The tunnel would be used until 1915 when it was closed, and it would eventually be sealed completely. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Construction on the 4th and current Welland Canal began in 1913. At the time, there were questions over whether or not the expansion, or even the canal itself, was still needed. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, the proposed new Welland Canal is a conspicuous example of the unscientific, unbusinesslike lack of system and lack of exact knowledge to guide a minister before coming to an important decision on expenditure. End quote. In all, it was expected the entire project would cost $50 million, which would be about $1.2 billion today. The Ottawa citizen would respond to this price tag, stating, quote, it is proposed to spend $50 million on the construction of a new canal at Welland. Will the expenditure be justified by results for the general good of the country? There does not appear to be any way of finding out. There is any amount of evidence against the project. Facts in its favor are conspicuous by their absence. End quote. MP Robert Rogers would announce that a new canal would be ready in four years and would be at a depth of 31 to 35 feet and $200,000 was voted in by the House of Commons for preliminary work. By June, another $2 million was set aside for the new canal. The Sioux Star wrote, quote, By this time, the new Welling Canal will be ready for traffic, and the activity of the government promises that along the whole length of this great waterway, the improvements on the canal systems and harbours will either be completed 
or nearing completion, end quote. Of course, what no one anticipated was the largest war in human history to that point, the First World War, and this put a halt to construction from 1916 to 1919 as there was a shortage of workers. The canal would open to traffic in 1930, though it was not completed to its full depth, and by this point the cost was $120 million. It would take until 1932 when the canal was officially opened by Governor General Lord Bessborough on August 6, 1932. By the time it opened, it had cost $200 million to finish, or $4.1 billion today. That figure is spread over a decade though, so the inflation figures may be slightly off. The figure was come to by the National Post, which had the construction cost at $130 million, the cost of providing the cast at 3.95% interest at $5.35 million, and the interest during construction over 18 years at 4.9% over 9 years at $57.3 million. This new canal changed the route north of St. Catharines, now running directly north of Port Weller. The canal now had a minimum depth of 25 feet, with 8 locks in total. As well, 12 highway bridges and 9 railway bridges now span the canal. To construct the new canal, 9 million cubic yards of rock, 51.1 million cubic yards of earth, and 3.5 million cubic yards of concrete were used. As well, 37 million pounds of reinforced steel and 55 million pounds of sheet steel piling were used. The construction of the canal had taken so long that Francis Cochrane, the Minister of Railways and Canals who began the project, was dead long before it was finished. The first ship to make the journey would be the SS Lemoyne, the largest vessel on the Great Lakes, which completed the journey through the canal as thousands of citizens cheered it on along the banks of the canal. Through the canal, the 633-foot-long freighter took 600,000 bushels of grain. The Brantford newspaper described the opening of the canal, quote, The scene was one of beauty. A bright sun in a clear sky shone upon the hundreds of gay flags and pennants flying in the breeze. Along the straight gray walls of the deep lock basins, thousands of people in holiday attire were gathered, end quote. Minister of Railways and Canals R.J. Mannion would say in his speech, quote, We meet here today to open officially the Welland Ship Canal, a work of great magnitude, which of importance to the trade and commerce of this continent, a work began no less than 19 years ago, but delayed in completion because of Canada's participation in the Great War, end quote. Here you see Lord Bespra, hat in hand, followed by Mr. Bennett, the Premier of Canada, in a light grey suit. Then follow the Empire Statesman, headed by Mr. Baldwin, who delivers an address, after which the Welland Ship Canal is declared open by the Governor-General. And now today, we find that your great country is the link between East and West, between Europe and Japan and China, and we find that your waterways have now thrust themselves into the heart of your great continent. I hereby declare the Welland Ship Canal officially open for the commerce of the world.
It is believed the current Welland Canal will last until at least 2030, a century after it opened and 200 years after shipping first began on it. It is believed it will last much longer though due to small improvements to its infrastructure, but there is a proposed plan to create a fifth Welland Canal at some point in the 21st century. Now the canal has seen many accidents over the course of its years. On June 20, 1912, the steamer, the Le Canadien, lost control and smashed into lock number 22, opening the lock by 6 inches. This caused a surge of water to flow downstream, which went over lock number 21 where five boys were fishing. Three of the boys would drown in the surge. As well, the Meriton Tunnel was completely filled with water. The Edmonton Daily Bulletin reported, quote, The gates gave way and the rush of water from above carried the steamer and the lower gates into the reach below, where the steamer struck the rocky bank and sank with a large hole in her hull. Willie Wallace, Willie Jacks, and Leonard Brethnick, all aged five years, were all swept over the canal bank into the water and drowned. The mass of water continued down the canal as far as lock number 18, badly damaging the banks and overflowing the adjoining farmlands. End quote. On August 25, 1974, the Steelton, an ore carrier, struck Bridge 12 at Port Robinson, knocking the bridge over and destroying it. Thankfully, no one was killed. Recently, on July 11, 2020, two cargo ships, the Alanis and Florence Spirit, struck each other near Port Robinson. No one was injured and no cargo was spilled. And before we go to a break, an investigation is underway after two ships collided in Ontario. It happened this afternoon in the Welland Canal. One ship was carrying windmill parts, the other carrying coal. No one was hurt, but both ships were damaged and towed away then for inspection. Traffic in the waterway has since resumed. Early in the canal's history, it's also been the target of sabotage by various groups. Its importance to the area made it an important target for saboteurs. On September 9, 1841, at lock number 37, an explosive charge destroyed the lock gate, but a guard lock upstream was closed in time to prevent a catastrophic flood from flowing upstream, saving many lives and property. And while no one was arrested, it was believed Benjamin Lett was responsible. Lett was a follower of William Lyne Mackenzie, who led the Upper Canada Rebellion. Lett had also bombed the monument to Sir Isaac Brock near Queenston, Ontario, and attempted to burn the British steamship Great Britain while it was leaving harbour in New York. The incident was described in a letter by W.B. Robinson, the superintendent of the canal. He writes, quote, A tremendous explosion was heard, and it was immediately ascertained that one of the great gates of the upper lock at Allenborough was completely destroyed. Very fortunately, a guard lock had been erected about 50 feet above the injured lock, the gates of which closed almost immediately after the explosion from the force of the current caused by the water rushing into the level below and thus preventing the whole body of water above from descending into the canal and the surrounding country. End quote. On April 21, 1900, a dynamite charge caused minor damage to lock number 24. The men responsible were arrested and sentenced to life in prison at the Kingston Penitentiary. The men were caught because Euphemia Constable, a 16-year-old girl, was nearby and seed the bombers before the blast knocked her unconscious. The Windsor Star reported, quote, It is a miracle that the gates were not entirely dislodged, in which case the result would have been disastrous to the canals. 
A large number of light glass in the town was broken from the shock. It is not considered the damage is sufficient to prevent navigation from opening on Tuesday next. End quote. During the First World War, there were several plots against the Welling Canal, but the Van Papen plot would become the most well-known. It was in April 1916 when a United States federal grand jury indicted several men who had planned to attack the canal. These men all had ties to Germany. Karl Boyed worked at the German embassy in Washington, D.C. Franz von Rittelin and Hans Trauscher were attached to the German Imperial Navy and the German Imperial Army, and Franz von Papen was a Prussian nobleman who was also indicted, but he was in Germany having been expelled from the United States for alleged acts of sabotage. He would eventually go on to serve as the Chancellor of Germany in 1932, and then the Vice-Chancellor under Adolf Hitler from 1933 to 1934. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at the Welling Canal. Next week, we're looking at the Queen in Canada. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to Canada ehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills, Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from the Canadian Encyclopedia, Niagara Welling Canal, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, WellingCanal.com, Ontario Heritage Trust, Montreal Gazette, Kingston Wake Standard, Sioux Star, Windsor Star, National Post, and the Edmonton Daily Bulletin. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.